So over the last few weeks, I've been speaking about the paramis, the requisites for enlightenment. And I've already spoken about generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, and effort. So tonight, moving on to patience. There's actually a slight personal footnote to this talk. Um, (laughs) About nine years ago, almost, I had the idea that patience was such a wonderful subject, something that is very helpful in practice, and thought that I should write a talk about patience. Well, the talk has been nine years in the making (laughs) because each time I began the talk on patience, impatience arose. (laughs) And when impatience arises, one tends to not see something through. (laughs) So that's the first lesson (laughs) about patience. So tonight, actually, I guess I'm working with the perfection of this paramis through just giving of this talk. (laughs) It's been said that no greater thing exists than patience. It is a noble attribute of the heart. In Pali, the word is kanti. And like many Pali words, uh, it can have a literal translation which is patience or forbearance. But there's often many undertones to the word, as it is in Pali, that if we just go to the literal translation, that we lose some of these undertones. So just to share a few of those uh, with you, and I'll be expanding a little bit more on these as I go through the talk. It has, patience has undertones of love, compassion, tolerance, acceptance, receptivity. It also includes the quality of gentleness. And sometimes can be seen as the highest form of humility, not a humility that is filled with conceit, I am, but a true humility. It's a gentle forbearance that allows us to stay steady, relaxed, and alert, regardless of what is happening in our experience, body, speech, and mind, regardless of the hardships we may need to endure. There's this relaxation, openness. doesn't mean it's easy, but there's a kindness, a care in being present when things are difficult. I've found for myself that even though the virtue of patience is immeasurable, that the act of learning it is not always so easy. And it seems over the course of giving these talks on the paramis, I keep returning to uh, my time in Burma when I ordained as a nun. It held many lessons for me. And again, I'm going to speak of it tonight, some of which you may have heard a little bit, and hopefully you haven't heard all of it. But um, I, you know, I just feel like I couldn't give this talk without speaking about that time, because patience was one of the biggest lessons of that time. 
In my last talk, I mentioned that I had been inspired to go to Burma after reading the book Great Disciples of the Buddha. You know, and just hearing these stories of uh, many people who'd lived during the time of the Buddha and these people who have been, you know, human beings just like we are, but have been very diligent and devoted in their practice. And as a result, had awakened. And so it had brought up the question in my own life, am I doing enough? And so really as a form of inquiry into that question, I had decided that I wanted to go to Burma and to ordain as a nun. I wanted to go and live with nuns rather than staying in a monk's monastery. I wanted to go and live with the daughters of the Buddha to have some understanding and insight into the way that they lived to see if there was some something in the way that they lived that I could bring back into my own life. You know, it was not a time of going to do intensive practice as I had done on my prior trips to Burma, but to really go and work and live, you know, just simply as a nun amongst other nuns. Having been there before, I knew that many of the conditions that I would be faced with would be quite trying, would be difficult at times. I had decided that I wanted to go to Sagain Hills, an area in Burma that is exquisitely beautiful. It's an area that's made up of largely monks and nuns. Um, where you know there's these beautiful hills that are dotted with nunneries, monasteries, and pagodas, and then below, uh, along the valley floor, runs the Irrawaddy River. I had visited this area a number of years before, and in being there, had thought that this has to be one of the most sacred places on earth. And at that time, I actually had the aspiration to go back there and to practice. And so the going there was really a fulfillment of dreams on many different levels, of just going to practice there, of going and ordaining as a nun temporarily, something which many people do, um, the act of which in itself was very powerful. You know, in, in um, ordaining I had the sense as if the inner and the outer worlds came into alignment and really an honoring of my deepest aspirations. But then it happened very quickly after the ordination that, um, you know, the ordination in itself seemed filled with grace. And then afterwards the grace came crashing down and (laughs) life became fraught with difficulties. Uh, My plan was to travel to Sagain Hills with a couple of friends. One was a Swiss nun, Aryanani, whom some of you will meet in uh, not too long a time and another a Burmese woman named Mimi. And they were going to just take me up to Sagain Hills to the nunnery that Sayadaw Ujanaka was sending me to uh, and help me to settle in for a few days and then they would leave because people there didn't speak the language. 
So we traveled up to Sagain Hills. We went to the first nunnery that Sayadaw Ujjanaka had sent me to. It was supposed to be one of the highest learning nunneries in the area, had a very good reputation, and probably is a really wonderful nunnery. But the conditions there, Burma being a very poor country, were very difficult. You know, and I just, we spent one day walking around, uh, looking at the, the conditions there. Um, at first, when I arrived, the head nun had not been so sure about accepting me because I didn't speak English, or I didn't speak Burmese, and they didn't speak English. So she wasn't sure it was going to be that valuable. And so, but they were kind enough to show me around, and they gave us all beds for the night. And by the end of the evening, I just knew this was going to be a huge challenge, and I didn't feel up to it. And so, you know, when I explained it to my two friends, they were in total agreement, and they actually said they had been nervous about leaving me there. And by this point, of course, the nuns wanted me to stay, so it was kind of an awkward moment. But anyhow, you know, we just... um, explain to them that it maybe it wouldn't be the right place for me to be. And that we had visited another nunnery when we went uh, to Sagain Hills. And it was a, quite a lovely nunnery. There was uh, a monk who was associated with that nunnery that spoke some English. So that seemed like it would be helpful. Um, it would also be a place where I would have my own kuti, whereas in this other nunnery I had to share a room with two other women, and it was actually in a building that had a tin roof and you couldn't open the windows very much because the bugs were so bad and there was theft in the area, and there was actually these cesspools of scum right outside um, the windows that had quite a stench to them. So, you know, it was just I was moving into what seemed like better conditions. So my friends went, helped me settle in for a couple of days, and then they left. And, you know, when they left, I crashed in some way. I felt really alone. You know, that the monk that did speak English was not available to me very often. I experienced the most intense loneliness I've ever experienced. And, you know, in my own life, it's, that's a feeling I have not come in contact with very much. Um, you know, and I've traveled the world alone by myself and still had never really experienced it. And then suddenly I felt so alone. You know, and it was a situation where I wasn't doing intensive practice, although I was doing a fair bit of practice during the day. But it didn't have... For me, what is protection of practice, where the mind, you know, I'm just so into being with experience moment by moment that there is no loneliness because there is no separation. Uh, and, and so with that, I, on, in an intensive retreat, don't commonly experience loneliness. But here I was, you know, bald-headed, which in itself was a new experience for me, in these pink robes, um, wanting to live the best I could in being a nun and feeling very challenged. So then, you know, I had this desire to really just work amongst these nuns, but that wasn't the case. They didn't want me to. They, you know, out of the generosity of their heart, treated me like royalty, treated me like a princess. 
And that, again, really alienated me. Uh, I felt very lonely in it. You know, they didn't want me to chop vegetables because my fingers would get smelly. They didn't want me to carry my own water. You know, they they didn't want me to sit on the floor and eat with them. And so instead I sat alone at a table a lot of the time. because of the barrier of language, um, we would often have communication difficulties. The, the, the abbess there was a really wonderful being, and she spoke a little bit of English, but it was only enough so that we constantly miscommunicated. And, you know, that in itself was very trying. There would be times when it would seem like we had organized that I should go somewhere. And, you know, in order to do this, I needed to have someone accompany me. Many times we needed a car, which meant that we needed a driver. And all of this, you know, took a lot to get together. But, you know, there would be moments where it seemed like, okay, something was going to happen. And so I would go back to my kuti and I would practice. And, you know, the time would come and go that of my expectation of time to leave and nothing would happen. And then there would be other days when I would decide, okay, today I will practice. Today I will just sit and walk. And so I would begin sitting and walking. And then someone would come knocking at my door and they'd say, come, come. And they couldn't tell me where I was coming to. They couldn't tell me where I was going, how long I would be gone for. You know, so I always had to be prepared to walk into the unknown. And, um, you know, it was all quite trying. I found it a time in my practice where oh, there was just a lot of the hindrances arising. You know, day after day I felt inundated by the hindrances. You know, whatever effort I made didn't seem to be good enough. You know, and it often seemed futile to make any effort. And, you know, so many times I thought I should just go home. I should just get out of here. You know, and it was, it was such a challenge to keep going. And, you know, I found little ways of coaxing myself to get out of bed in the morning and then just to practice until breakfast time. And then after breakfast to just keep practicing till lunchtime. And then after lunchtime, if I could just keep going till tea time. And then uh, after tea time to keep going until the evening chanting when we would gather together as nuns in this hall, and they would chant, and I would listen, and then at the end they would all look at me, you know, and I didn't know what it was all about. <laughs> and that was the big thing. I, I just kept looking at this and going, what is this all about? You know, and I didn't have a clue. And then one day I read something about patience, and I went, oh, this is about patience. This is about cultivating patience. And, you know, in in reading about patience, there was the line about until we are fully enlightened, there will be times when we don't see clearly. And I just recognized that I wasn't seeing clearly. You know, I, I was encountering to me what seemed like great challenges. I was um, feeling very lost and confused at times, and yet I could just stay patient, stay open to the possibility 
of returning moment after moment. You know, and I have to say, open to the possibility, because there was many moments when I didn't go that route, when I was lost or caught up in the difficulties I was encountering. You know, and it was a, just a period of feeling like I was floundering. And yet, when I read about patience, it was as if the penny dropped inside. That gave me a framework in which I could be with this really unwieldy, difficult situation. It really helped me to continue to stay with the experience. It helped me to be kind with myself within the experience. Because there was this great tendency to be really hard on myself, to judge myself, you know, to really think that I was a total, incapable idiot. And yet, when I held it within the framework of cultivating patience, I could bring kindness to the experience. I could open to whatever lessons this experience offered to me. It helped me to do something that I think it is quite famous for. It helped me to open to the pain that seems unbearable. And this is a great gift of patience. That it is the grace that accompanies patience in these moments where it feels totally unbearable, and yet we find the capacity to be with it to endure it. And it's not the kind of endurance that has you know, the, the gritting of the teeth, the bearing of it, the, the just kind of trying to soldier through, but it has the capacity to open us up in the face of that difficulty, to be honest, to recognize that this is deeply challenging, this is really difficult, and yet we stay with it. We don't run from it. We aren't run by our habituated tendencies. We have that capacity to turn and delve into the roots of suffering itself. And without patience, we'll never get anywhere in our practice. We'll never be able to look deeply into the suffering, because we simply run. We uh, become restless, agitated, which is the opposite, where we become impatient with our experience, where we're not accepting of it. We're resisting our experience. And when we resist our experience, it is suffering. It is painful. But patience is filled with this quality of acceptance, of accepting things as they are. And this, you know, isn't that in those moments when patience is there, that we're at that deep level of seeing things in their true nature, but that we have an honesty 
that sees this is suffering, this is difficult, this is challenging, and this is just how things are right now. And it's guided by impermanence. It's guided by the knowledge of impermanence, that this is how things are in this moment. And we find within that the capacity to rest, to know that this too will change, but to know that we have the capacity to stay present in this moment. Our lessons in patience happen early on in practice. On our very first day, probably many of us encountered lessons in patience. Lessons when we sat down and started to be with our experience, and it didn't unfold. You know, oftentimes when we come to meditation practice with the idea that we'll just be calm and peaceful, and then when we actually sit, we find that at times it's really unpleasant. And so if we weren't patient in that very first moment of the encountering of unpleasant mind states, unpleasant physical conditions, then we would have just got up and left. We wouldn't have looked any deeper. When, excuse me, when impatience is present, we find that we will often get annoyed with ourselves or other people, uh, that it breeds states of anger, aversion, anxiety, fear, discouragement, and even failure. With impatience, we often find ourselves lashing out, blaming others, for our state of discontentment. (coughs) Sometimes, excuse me, this impatience is directed towards ourselves. This can happen any time that we're learning something new that we will often get impatient with our progress. And, you know, sometimes in practice, we hold practice in the way of progress. What's my progress in practice? And many of us have heard something about the stages of insight, the way the mind can unfold in the course of practice. And sometimes when we hear about the stages of insight, we might try to place ourselves within these stages and might not be so happy with where we place ourselves within the stages of insight and become discontented, become impatient with ourselves. We become impatient with our capacity as we perceive it. But I see, you know, in coming to the practice, if we hold it within that context, 
it will be painful, it will be excruciating, and it doesn't allow us just to accept ourselves, just as we are, in the way that we are in this moment. But when we turn impatience to patience, it's really a relinquishment of our suffering. There is a relinquishment of the resistance to our experience. This doesn't move, move us into being passive, but it helps us to let go of our reaction to experience that is unwholesome or unhelpful. When we practice patience, we're bringing in a wisdom, a wisdom that can see the difference between something that we can do that will help to alleviate suffering and conditions that we simply need to bow to, to surrender to. There's a vast difference between patience and impatience. And there's a Chinese proverb about this. It says, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. So patience is really an ally to us. The impatience can lead us into greater and greater suffering. Patience is said to be an antidote to anger. And it's actually was said by the Buddha that um, unless we're in really difficult circumstances, we won't actually know if patience has been cultivated or not. It's really when we find ourselves in situations where maybe people are speaking harshly to us, maybe someone is physically harming us, that we will know whether patience is present. That if we're simply sitting in really beautiful circumstances and surrounded by people who are calm and peaceful and we think we're feeling really patient, we have no idea. Actually, there's a, a Tibetan story about a... Uh, a hermit that was practicing in the cave and someone came along and um, asked him what he was doing and he said he was practicing uh, meditation in the cave to cultivate patience and then just as this person was walking away they screamed at him and then he yelled back and then they just reminded them that he was there to practice patience. It's said that patience is an unimpeded quality for the good in the development of noble qualities, for it dispels anger, the opposite of all such qualities, without residue. To me, um, the thought of anger without residue is quite appealing.
So in learning about patience, it will require us to make a thorough investigation of anger because um, you know, that is where there is the impatience. That is where we get pushed. And the Buddha really strongly talked about in the moments where uh, someone is harming us, someone is angry with us, that it is not a good enough reason to retaliate with anger that we really need to protect the mind from these harmful mind states, these mind states that cause further suffering. And there's a story where the Buddha really exemplified this. It's a story that's in the uh, Brahmana Samyutta, in the Samyutta Nikaya. And so in the story, one day the Buddha was walking along and there he was approached by this man who was very angry and he started calling the Buddha all sorts of names and then he started trying to rile him by speaking rude, harsh words. And the Buddha simply waited until the man had finished and then asked him, he asked the man if people ever visited him in his home. And this man was surprised at the change of topic, and so he just answered yes, he did. He had people come to visit him in his home. And then the Buddha asked him if he ever offered food to these guests. And when the man replied yes again, the Buddha asked him what would happen if they refused to accept the food? Who would the food belong to then? And so then the man replied that, of course, it would still belong to him. And then the Buddha very calmly and kindly said, In the same way, I do not accept your insults. They remain with you. I think it's an important story in just how the Buddha was able to be very patient with the man as he was being spoken to with these rude, harsh words. And I know, you know, in my own life, when people have spoken that way to me, that, you know, there's been the sense of needing to make it right and needing to, you know, say whatever needs to be said. And and it's not from the place of loving kindness. Um, But, you know, the Buddha was very patient. And then when he spoke, It sounds from the tone of the story that he was very gentle and kind and used the opportunity to stay very balanced. And we can see from the story that it didn't make the Buddha weak. It didn't make it so that this person walked all over him, which is sometimes an idea that we have with patience that if we are really patient when people are abusing us, that they will simply walk all over us. And this is not the case in this story. It actually showed a great strength of character. You know, and it showed... um, Maybe I'm reading into that the man actually learned something from this, but one can hope that the man learned something just as I know when people have treated me similarly, that it has been a great lesson to me. So in cultivating patience, we will need to work with anger 
however it may arise. You know, whether it's through someone saying these horrible things about us, someone hurting us, um, needing to look at anger within our own minds, needing to delve right into the roots of anger, to see deeply, um, to move from the place of blaming to what is our response here? What is so threatened? What is so painful in this moment? And with that, we will find that there becomes a necessity for forgiveness, to really being able to let go of the hanging on to events of the past that keep us bound. And so, um, we find that patience, forgiveness, uh, anger are all very tied together from this place of inquiry. And it's actually patience that will help the forgiveness to be authentic. You know, it can't be just a pacifying, you know, because if we really feel like in forgiveness that we're just simply washing over past events where harm has been called, we will never really be able to deeply forgive. You know, it it takes that going into the roots. And so the... Uh, patience will help us to stay patient in the process of forgiveness. And that will mean being patient with ourselves as rage arises, as we come close to, you know, uh, forgiveness takes us into what feels really unacceptable. And so as we're at that edge, and we might find rage re-emerging over and over again, it's patience that will help us to be there. And that patience needs to be imbued with the quality of loving-kindness. So that in those moments where rage still flares up, that we can be tender with ourselves. That we don't get caught in harsh criticism. That we hold ourselves kindly in those moments. The patience will help us to be honest in the process of inquiry into anger. And there's nothing so relieving, I don't think, as when we hit those moments in practice where we are really honest with ourselves when we don't like what we see. But we have that courageousness of heart to really see it things as they are in that moment. I know, because, because the resistance goes. And so, you know, it's like trying to pretend that we're some other way than what we are. And then we just call a spade a spade. And it's so freeing. It's so lightening. So it's patience that will allow us to develop an inner strength that can endure any kind of provocation and remain calm without being seduced by our anger.
It's often said that the road to Nibbana is paved with patience. And we come to know this in our practice. That, you know, there's so many times where we don't know what's going on. We are confused. We do feel like we're floundering. And these are the moments when we need to stay open. We need to keep interested. We need to be curious about our experience. And we also need to learn to hold it lightly, to hold the times when we find ourselves repeatedly doing the same stupid thing over and over again, to be able to be kind and hold it lightly. When patience is present, we can be with discomfort, uncertainty, without getting agitated, recognizing it's just the way things are. There's a quality of yielding to conditions that is really helpful to know that, you know, we can't powerhouse, can't fight, can't change, but we can yield to conditions. We can be receptive to the way things are. This was a lesson that you know, I personally learned um, earlier in my life from being in the mountains. And you know, being in the mountains, one was reminded that one can't forcefully change the way things are can't forcefully change conditions in nature. In that, you know, if one tries to force oneself in, in the climbing up a face of a mountain, that um, it will, can lead to death. It can be, uh, it's, it, there's not much room for error in it. In that when one climbs a mountain with wisdom, one simply yields to the conditions. And this is a quality that is, uh, you know, very close to patience. So I'd like to summarize a little bit about patience through, again, looking at the characteristic function manifestation and proximate cause of patience. So the characteristic of patience is acceptance. Acceptance being when we can have that relaxed, easy heart with the way things are. Ajahn Buddhadasa, a you know, very famous Thai forest monk, once said, if there was one useful inscription to have on a medallion around your neck, it would be, this is the way it is. Now, if we can remember this over and over, this is the way it is. You know, when you have knee pain, this is the way it is. When you're frustrated, this is the way it is. When um, 
you want things to be different. Discontentment. This is the way it is. When other people are upsetting us, really helpful. This is the way it is. When we can accept this is the way it is, we can accept confusion as being a part of the process of waking up, not using it as an excuse to not be mindful, but rather to be mindful, to keep coming back, to keep turning up. The function of patience is to be able to endure both the desirable and the undesirable. The endurance is a calm endurance, not the tightening up, not the simply pushing through or bearing, bearing through something. That there is within this calm endurance a mental and emotional strength that allows the courageous heart to face the difficulties at hand. The manifestation of patience is tolerance or non-opposition. This opens us up to the possibility of really opening to all different kinds of experiences. That which is desirable, that which is undesirable, because we are no longer feeling threatened. We are interested. We... um, are able to have the fortitude to stay present. Its proximate cause is seeing things just as they are. And this is really where we develop this inner honesty. And, you know, this helps to bring forth patience when we can really be frank, honest. And this, we will also find, is the place where compassion arises, in this being able to see things just as they are. If we look at a day of practice, we have so many opportunities to practice patience. No, it can be the simple patience of being patient with just one breath, not rushing into the next breath. It can be patient with the way the practice is unfolding. It can be being patient with our fellow yogis as they might struggle, have difficulties that become evident when they become louder or um, when they get in our way. Uh, We can practice patience in walking through the food line behind somebody who's moving really slowly. There are just so many times in our lives where we find ourselves toppling into impatience 
And in these moments to see if you can't settle back into patience, into acceptance, the letting go of resistance, settling back into the calm endurance I'd like to share a quote from Reirukane Chandavimal Mahatera, and I probably didn't get that anywhere near right. My apologies. He's a Sri Lankan monk and a renowned scholar. He says, he's talking about patience and says, In the hands of good people, it is a weapon banishing away anger, which is a destroyer of all virtue. It is an ornament for men of authority a tool of great power for ascetics and monastics, a flow of water extinguishing the fire of rage, a birthplace of good fame, a medicine counteracting the poisonous words of evil beings, a noble quality of the tamed, a shore for the ocean of hatred, a cover blocking the openings to the lower realms, a ladder to the heavenly realms, a haven for all virtues and excellent condition of purity of word, deed, and thought. Such are the virtues of patience. I wanted to close tonight with one of the Jataka tales. It's the uh, Jataka tale uh, where, uh, in one of the many lifetimes where the Buddha was perfecting these paramis, that there was uh, the, he was working with the parami of patience. I actually read this in a, a book that was put together for children and I had the opportunity one day to read it at the Petersham Unitarian Church. And as I read it, I had a group of children all around me, and they were looking at the book. The book actually had pictures, and it was wonderful to kind of get a sense of it through their eyes. And you know, at one point, there's a little bit of fearfulness, and, and one child yelled out, and you know, it was just very alive. But what I also noticed in the reading of that was that many of the adults seem to enjoy it just as much. So tonight seemed like a good night to share this story. (coughs) (coughs) Once upon a time, (coughs) excuse me, deep within a lush jungle, there lived a great being in the form of a wild buffalo. He was a huge brown animal with massive white horns and piercing green eyes. For those who did not know him, he seemed stern and frightening, but on the inside his heart was gentle and kind. One of his companions in the jungle was a very mischievous monkey. The monkey made it a part of his daily life to insult and annoy the buffalo day after day. When the buffalo was about to feed on the grass, Monkey would seize the opportunity to play a trick. 
As the buffalo would bow his head to eat the grass, the monkey would pop up under his feet and in gleeful delight begin singing, Try and eat, try and eat, even though I stand under your feet. Each day, as the buffalo went to bathe in the river, the monkey would play a different trick. Swinging from a branch, he would land smack in the middle of the great buffalo's back and then cover the buffalo's eyes with his hands while singing, Don't slip and fall, don't slip and fall, even though you can't see at all. And when the buffalo wished to take a nap, monkey had yet another trick. Jumping on his back with a stick in his hands, he would dance and sing, Give me a ride, give me a ride, or my stick will beat your hide. Buffalo had no end to his patience with the mischievous little monkey and all of his tricks. Never did it even cross his mind to hurt the little monkey or even to try to frighten him away. The buffalo continued to treat him as a dear friend. One day, a magical forest sprite, well-versed in magic charms, caught sight of the monkey tricks, the, these monkey tricks and became very angry. He was not happy with the unkindness that the monkey showed towards the buffalo. He went to the buffalo and said, O oh, great buffalo, why do you put up with this foolish monkey? What could you be thinking? Are you afraid of him? Have you become his slave? Does he know some terrible secret about you that he threatens to tell? The strongest lions fear your wrath, and even the elephants step out of your path. With those hooves of yours, you could crush into bits. With those thorns of yours, with those horns of yours, you could shred him in strips. Oh, forest sprite, Buffalo replied, anger never leads to happiness. Each day, The monkey does me a great favor by giving me an opportunity to defeat my anger, to practice patience. By learning patience, I protect myself as well as others. How good I feel inside when I am patient. Anger does not upset my heart. It does not cause me to say nasty things that may hurt the monkey, things that later I would feel horrible about having said and then would feel great sadness. But the forest sprite could not understand. This rascal's tricks will only worsen if you don't wise up and teach him a lesson. The buffalo responded, It is better to be patient, my friend, for this may awaken his inner feelings. Though the monkey is mischievous like all creatures, he possesses a true heart. The forest sprite was amazed, for he had not figured out how to handle a tease, even though he knew all manner of magic spells. It suddenly occurred to him how this could be a useful charm to have. Patience! What a magical charm! Could you teach me how to do it? Show me quickly! Show me now! Right now! For I want to know how to use it! And the buffalo replied, To practice patience, you need a real rascal to help you. It's no use practicing on gentle and kind creatures, for they require no patience. What you need is a good monkey. Would you like to use mine? (laughs) Monkey, that tease, said the forest sprite. If he tried his silly tricks on me, I'd show him some of mine. The buffalo responded, My friend, you see how hard patience is to practice? But you must keep trying, 
for it is indeed a magic charm. The forest sprite was still looking, confused, so the buffalo continued on. I learned to be patient by thinking about Monkey. His teasing will surely get him in trouble. Sooner or later, he will play a trick on some quick-tempered creature who will give him a bad scare or even a beating. Poor Monkey. Then I thought about how lonely he must be. None of the animals want to be around him, and everyone wishes he would go away. Poor monkey. Then I thought about how confused he is. He relies on bad qualities instead of good ones, turning all his cleverness and energy into mean tricks. And so I feel sorry for the monkey and do not wish to cause him any more unhappiness. Oh, said the forest sprite. If I think it through the way you do, then maybe I can learn to be patient too. And off flew the forest sprite to to practice the wonderful new charm called patience. And just then, the monkey who had been hiding in the trees, listening to every word, came up to the buffalo. I did not know I had such a good friend. I did not think I had any friends at all. How kind and strong you are to be patient with a monkey like me. Please forgive me for teasing and playing mean tricks, and let me be your friend. If you think of all the beings as your friends, tricks and teasing can do you no harm, for your heart is protected by patience, and patience looks like a charm. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the magic of patience. of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual futures and guides of great virtue 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.